Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2019 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, three women will weigh in just as we leap into a new and consequential year. Christina Shea, Mayor of Irvine, Lisa Bartlett, Orange County Board of Supervisor for the 5th District, and Zoe Nicholson, Scholar of Alice Paul, who is the architect of the 19th Amendment and the ERA proposed amendment. We'll be right back with this full-on roster. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Bringing in the new year is Irvine Mayor Christina Shea. Mayor Shea was first elected to the Irvine City Council in 1992, elected mayor in 1996 to 2000. She returned to the council in 2002 to 2010 and then has served on the council for these last two terms and was appointed mayor in April of this year when then-Mayor Don Wagner joined the County Board of Supervisors. Mayor Christina Shea is a real estate agent with Prism Link Properties and the president of her own governmental relations firm, Shea Consulting. She served as vice president of the Irvine Community Trust Land Trust, chair of the task force to review housing needs of the developmentally disabled, the ad hoc veterans affordable housing committee and the Orange County Great Park Board of Directors. She's also been a member of the Irvine Unified School District Liaison Committee, the Orange County Sanitation District, and the boards of the American Cancer Society, the El Toro Reuse Planning Authority, Human Options, the Irvine Child Care Project, and the Transportation Corridor Agencies. She studied history, political science, and liberal arts at Irvine Valley College and Cal State Fullerton. She comes to us today from her council office. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Mayor Shea. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here today. Well, thank you. Well, let us open with what you envision for the 2020. Well, um, I have um, a focus moving forward um, to really, which I have in the past, but it's a continuation of this focus, and that is to um, be assured that our community is safe, we work together harmoniously, and we also become more of a green community. We have just approved a community um, energy program, which um, I look forward to, um, we're exploring that right now, but we're going to see if this community energy um, uh, uh, program will move forward. It's actually called Community Choice Energy. And we're looking to see how we can start providing more green energy for our residents. I've also recently um, proposed the last few years um, moving forward with an organic pesticide program that we now apply to our open space land, our parks, and our green belt. So I'm very focused on ensuring the health and well-being of our community through these different programs that we're now uh, moving forward with and continuing to address. The Community Choice Energy with a, was voted in unanimously by the Irvine City Council just as recently as uh, earlier a couple of weeks. 
and it's leading the way in Orange County. And uh, so you're, you're going to be working on putting together the Joint Powers Agreement Authority. Yes, similar I to will be sending a letter out to all communities in Orange County and asking if there's an interest to form a JPA, a Joint Powers Authority. And by doing that, it's a way to uh, consolidate interest. A lot of cities around the county are waiting to see what Irvine would be doing. And so we're really taking the lead, as we have on many other uh, plans and ideas and proposals and policies that we put forward over the many years. So it'll be interesting to see how many cities are going to be interested in joining the JPA, which will actually, I think, help us save uh, money, a startup money. It will be a collaboration. And because the cost, the startup costs are, what are very expensive, between 10 and $15 million over time. The benefit uh, certainly is to our residents is, is huge. But it also is um, brings money back into the city. But it's much better, I think, to start out with the JPA. I think we have found that in the state of California that the JPA program is a much better approach to implement the um, Community Choice Energy Program. So going into 2020, I'm going to work this theme pretty hard because that's this is the New Year's Eve Day uh, broadcast, yes. is that I would like, to have you unpackage a bit what it was like working with that batch of activists they they were very devoted they had they brought you a great deal of data they brought you a package deal and what was that what was that dance like for you mayor shay so you're referring to the community choice energy um, proponents correct well, it was very similar to what, and some of the members were also the very members that brought forward our um, uh, non-toxic organic program to me in 2016. And I'm a cancer survivor. I had cancer I in my early 20s. And so even though as a young woman, um, I had to deal with this thyroid cancer that um, had developed. Uh, I have not had a reoccurrence, not okay. on wood, thank goodness. Yeah. But over time, I learned how to really kind of self-educate myself to health benefits. And that was dealing with environmental concerns, uh, your food. I eat a, mostly all organic um, foods. And so over the many years, I've self-educated myself. And so when these um, group of residents came to me in t 2016 of all the council members I think I was the last one they spoke to on their agenda I immediately agreed that this was a very important proposal we should be doing to protect our animals our pets our young children that are so vulnerable to cancer and all these um, really dangerous pesticides so it was an easy push for me and, of course, very similarly with the Community Choice Energy, uh, some of the same individuals that worked on the, the non-toxic pesticide program are part of this um, push to bring this to our city. It's a little bit more difficult from the standpoint because the cost factor, as I mentioned, the startup cost factor is very expensive. But right at this point in time, I'm very supportive of moving forward with an exploratory um, review the reports that we've gotten so far from our staff and our independent consultant have indicated that this is really could be a very successful program. And it's certainly worth investigating and moving this forward in this coming year. So I'm very excited about this proposal. Well, I'm, and I'm, I'm very proud I'm also, to be the mayor overseeing this. And I'm, I'm also thinking of the Climate Action Group and uh, some of them affiliated with the Citizens Climate Lobby that they had worked a great deal. They were sort of 
uh, cross-fertilizing, shall we say, what was working in San Diego County, m most of them, and bringing that to Orange County with starting with the city of Irvine. So I just wanted to know how that felt as the mayor of the city council at this point with various dynamics in play, how just going into a new year, whether there are maybe some different and new alliances that give you a certain feeling. Well, you know, I've always been, um, being in city council and being involved in the city for so many years, I really work, I mean, I certainly have a political persuasion, but I work across the board with people. And when people approach me with new ideas, I always keep an open mind because I've found that by doing that, we can really um, find some very new and innovative ways to make the city even better. So what was really beneficial is all the, the um, background work that had already been done that was so helpful for me as the mayor to feel more comfortable moving forward with something that had, you know, had already been uh, developed, had already been working in other communities rather than just something new that was brought to me that yes. would tend to make me a little bit more circumspect and take more time to review. But because they had done so much pre-work to help us, uh, I believe that that was certainly very beneficial, and I hope we have a, a long-term collaboration with these community uh, members that have really put a lot of their personal time, as I do. I mean, I'm part-time. I All of us on council are just paid a very minimal amount of stipend per, per month to serve the community. So it's great to have these volunteers spending their personal time as well to really care about the city of Irvine, to care about the families, our children, and what um, could be a great possibility in our future. Well, I'm wondering too, this occurring at about the same time that measure was made of, what, of the real lack of progress actually in the Madrid International Climate Summit in the COP25, it, did it have a special resonance that you took on a municipal leadership role to shore up where it's not happening with international and national players? Well, I think at the national level, I mean, I'm a Republican. Honestly, that's, that's, I've been a Republican all my life. My grandparents were Republican. My parents were. So it's just been something that's been a part of my life. But I don't always agree with the platform of the Republican Party or those in my party that have actually pushed against um, some of these, uh, I think, very healthy proposals that we need to be looking at to ensure the future of our children. So, um, again, I'm a very independent thinker. I'm pretty balanced in how I approach um, initiatives. I certainly always look at the financial aspect to how if this could, I certainly don't want to get into a proposal that could bankrupt our city. That would be very um, a big disadvantage, as you know, and I've been uh, out for years. I've been a strong fiscal conservative, kept our city very fiscally strong. We just recently were named for the third year in, the road, uh, in a row, the third strongest fiscal um, for a city in America for fiscal strength. And that's because I'm very cautious of that. I understand how important you have to keep the, the fiber of your community solid with um, not overspending. But on the other hand, I'm also of the mind that I also care very much about the health of this city and our residents. And so I do differ um, with the national policy that has been uh, moving in a certain direction. Doesn't mean I disagree with every policy uh, nationally, but in this area, when it comes to um, our, our health and well-being, I certainly believe it's important that we 
do everything we can to ensure that uh, long-lasting protection. Also, in going into the year 2020, there will be a new primary, a new timing for the presidential, federal, and state office holders in the state of California will be March 3rd. In March, And right. I, I bring it up all the time because I still run into people who still don't know it's moved up from June. So I say it like I like people place products in movies. I pray, place that date. But so... Oh, that's the, good. There's going to be a lot of education needed, that's for sure. Absolutely. So Irvine is going to have a role, the City Hall will, with the new Orange County Registrar processes. Can you talk a little bit about the very public space you'll be providing for voter participation for the March 3rd primary in California? Yes, we are presently being updated by the Registrar of Voters. He did come, you know, Kelly gave a presentation at City Council What's very um, hopeful and unique is that now every voter in our city in Orange County will be mailed an absentee ballot, and it will have a return stamp on it. So everyone, and I want to encourage everyone, we do have these voting locations now. They're going to be much more comprehensive and easier to, um, uh, uh, to uh, you know, to go to and to vote. To vote at, we won't have these uh, precinct setups anymore, so that will be very advantageous. But I think this this being able to vote by mail is a wonderful opportunity. It's so easy. I changed over maybe ten years ago, and it's just so simple. You have time to sit down in your own time frame and read all the initiatives, so you're not rushed, um, and then just mail it back. And the registrar will be putting a, a return stamp on all of our um, that's right mail by uh, vote by mail. So. I think it's going to be very interesting. I will hopefully it's very successful, and it seems like it's a, a really um, efficient way to be um, addressing any past problems that have happened with when people go out to vote. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know there'll be a, a, a large um, marketing plan by the registrar, and hopefully our city to encourage people, let them know that the primary is in March and that how this new voting process works. But again, if you're even confused about that, you'll be getting your vote by mail in your mailbox. So that'll be very explan- easy to explain, um, explanatory, and, and I think it will be the, the best way for all of us to be voting. And the City Hall will be a place of early voting and ongoing yes. throughout the whole, up, right up until, I don't even know what the hour would be, probably at the same closing time, at the 8 p.m. when they close. Right, but City Hall will be a voting a spot, so yes, we'll encourage people to come in. If they don't want to vote by mail, they're welcome to stop home after work or before work, and we will have it all set up here at City Hall. And speaking of elections, you will be filing for re-election? Yes, I will be. Uh, presently, sadly, there is a recall by a professor there at UCI that's trying to recall Mike Carroll and myself, Councilmember Carroll, um, because he didn't agree that we should be appointed, though our mu- municipal code allowed for our appointment. That's just what happens. Don Wagner runs. Uh, he ran and won for supervisor, and so his seat was vacated. I was mayor pro tem, and our municipal code allows and actually requires the mayor pro tem to accept that position. I could have denied it, um, and then we would have gone out to a vote, but that would have cost us a million dollars. And so based on that, I took the position. Uh, legally, I had every right and obligation, actually, to do that. So Mr. Kavork Abedanian and some other folks are thinking, I'm assuming, told he wants to run for mayor. So he's trying to recall me now. He'll be going out on the street with uh, recall papers uh, against myself and Councilmember Carroll. 
you know, generally recalls to me are all about, you know, if there's been embezzlement or fraud or some very serious allegations, I certainly believe that the tool for voters, it's important to have a recall process. But to have individuals that have run for office before and lost, and now they see that using this tool to help diminish those in office to sort of highlight themselves and give them a foot up in the upcoming election 2020, I think it's really egregious. And so I'm, I'm just very troubled about it, but I accept it. It's going to be out on the street. I hope people are not going to sign that. I've really served the community well for multiple years. I'm very proud of being the mayor of this wonderful city. And I just feel that there are abuses in the system. And certainly I feel that this particular use of a recall is being, uh, you know, it's an abusive um, effort, but uh, we just have to deal with these issues that come up. So I just wanted to share that. But yes, exactly. I will be running. I have declared that I would be running in 2020. And so I'm just wanting to get clear on, your appointment as mayor then, it's still you're on the track with the term limits as a city council member. Is this like the second term that you would be able to to run in or how does that how do you yeah, get so termed? The term would allow me okay, yes, yeah, so thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. So as serving um, the the term for Don Wagner filling out his term, which wasn't a full two year term, but I will finish this year. And then I would have the ability to run one more term, which would be as mayor. Years. Okay. As mayor, and then at that time, then I would be retiring. Okay. And that, would you be able to, to run again as a city council member after I the could. mayoral term? I just yeah. I to- could, but at this point in time, I have no intention of doing that. I would like to fulfill my position as mayor. And then I think um, going back to council would be a little problematic for me. So I think that at the end of the two-year term, I would be stepping down and trying to encourage and, and nurture um, new individuals that certainly I'm sure would do a great job for the city. Okay. So I'm also looking into 2020. There will be a huge undertaking of the U.S. Census. What does the, what's the municipal responsibility in getting the census done? Uh, you know, that's interesting. I have not had an update. I know our city attorney was going to be discussing um, that that would be implemented. I, we have to certainly um, support uh, any process that is uh, brought forward. I, in fact, I was at, in, I live in Quail Hill, and I saw a young man on my walk, and I said, oh, what are you doing with your computer? He had his laptop. He said, oh, I'm getting census data. I work for the Census Bureau. And um, and he said that I get paid pretty well. I think they pay him like twenty dollars an hour. So he was out in our community, getting knocking on doors, getting sense, uh, um, you know, doing a census review through Irvine. So we certainly will be supporting uh, the federal, um, you know, uh, efforts to do this uh, uh, census. And so um, I'm not about the, I think the city clerk um, and the public information officer um, has been structuring or sitting on some committees with the county and local stakeholders. And I believe that we're, as a council, we'll have an update at the beginning of the year. Okay. About just more details about how we will be participating. So the governor's putting a lot of money in this. It's a sort of a, it's an interesting variable state to state level of commitment 
to a full-on census taking. So uh, we know that the governor of California has put in a lot of money to make sure every nose is right. counted, and that's so it'll it'll show up somewhere. And we'll certainly comply. I mean, that's what we will do as the city and as the mayor. We'll make sure that we follow all the proper protocol and laws and and comply with the state's um, uh, focus to make sure that we get a really accurate um, uh, number of during the census reviews. And again, 2020 is going to be the 100th anniversary of the, I think it's the ratification, it's always there's these phases of amendments being codified, but the 19th Amendment that's given we women the right to vote. Will the city, Mayor Shea, have any kind of commemoration for the 19th Amendment? Well, you know what, I think that's a wonderful um question because I as the as a female mayor obviously I think <laughs> it would be a wonderful thing for us to to honor um, that um, that month you know actually I wrote an article back in 2013 that I had um, printed in the register about um, the National Women's History Month and a topic was don't tell me I can't and mm. so as American women you know we do uh, left asking these days and lead lives you know in my opinion that are much more self-directed than say my grandma did and for that I'm very very thankful we can count the growing number of women as we know in influential places now in society whether they're in Congress or CEOs of or major companies or on local city councils or the mayors of cities so many wonderful opportunities have now opened up for women in these recent decades that we just never um, even had that opportunity. Women were basically just considered, um, you know, a non-essential, except for, you know, raising children. And, you know, I loved being a mother. It was one of the top priorities of my life was being a mother, and I loved it. But it's also been wonderful to transition as my children have grown into um, a career in politics and now being the mayor of the city. And I have, you know, five granddaughters. Oh, congratulations. And I love them to death. We spent a lot of time, so I spent a lot of time nurturing them and encouraging them. So, yes, I think that to answer your question, I think it would be a wonderful opportunity for the city of Irvine. And I will certainly think about that. You've just put a, a great little nugget of an idea in my mind to see what we might be able to do in March, the month of March, which is my birthday month, too, oh. to see what we could do to honor the National Women's History Month. I think that's a really good idea. And to close, Mayor Shea, have you a final message for the new year? Well, yes, I think I would like to share just a, a comment. I know you mentioned that you might want me to share a closing remark. So I think I would like to say something in regard to tomorrow is the first blank page in all of our 2020 book, notebook. And so I think it's important that we all write a good one. Isn't that not true? So on behalf of the Irvine City Council and as the city's mayor, I want to wish everyone that um, at UCI and throughout our community and our families to have a very wonderful, happy new year and a new decade that is filled with much joy, happiness, and great success. Well, thank you very much, Mayor Shea, for taking the time. Happy New well, Year to you. you. I enjoyed it very much, and thank you so much for having me on your program today. Thank you. My guest was Irvine Mayor Christina Shea as we go into the new year 2020 let's face the music and dance before the fiddlers have fled 
Welcome back to the show. My next guest bringing in the new year is Orange County Board of Supervisor Lisa Bartlett representing the 5th District, South Orange County. Supervisor Bartlett began her career in public service when elected to the Dana Point City Council in 2006. She served there both as mayor and mayor pro tem. She was elected to the Orange County Board of Supervisors in 2014 and re-elected in 2018. She was unanimously elected by her board colleagues to serve as chairwoman of the Board of Supervisors for 2019. In addition to her role on the Orange County Board of Supervisors, Supervisor Bartlett serves on 14 regional and state boards and commissions, which currently include Orange County Transportation Authority, Orange County Fire Authority, Transportation Corridor Agency, and South Coast Air Quality Management District. She is currently president of the California State Association of Counties. Her professional background includes executive management positions in worldwide computer software company, project management consulting firm, and several law firms. In addition to her professional career, Supervisor Bartlett has always been actively involved in philanthropic work in several nonprofit organizations such as Children's Hospital, Queen of Hearts Guild Symphony, the Dana Point Historical Society, Dana Point Lighthouse Society, and the Dana Point Relay for Life. She earned her bachelor's degree in finance at Cal State Fullerton and her MBA at Pepperdine and became a certified PMP as well as a licensed real estate broker. She comes to us today from her Santa Ana office. Welcome to Ask a Leader Board of Supervisor Lisa Bartlett. Thank you. It's great to be here today. Well, thank you. I'd like to start with you briefly offering your vision for 2020. What are the areas of major concern to you? Well, one thing that we want to expand on at the county is the county's mental health initiative, um, Be Well OC, which is our mental health and uh, ecosystem campus with regard to behavioral health. And that's something we want to expand on. We have our Orange campus, which will be opening in the spring of 2020. And we hope to have two other mental health campuses open within the next few years. And I also want to stress the opportunities for the county to work on a public-private partnership basis with the private sector to create more initiatives and opportunities for infrastructure and other things for the county. Okay. Well, we have before us, um, it's throughout Orange County now, there's a little momentum building on the community choice energy front. And uh, Irvine City Council is leading the way, and Mayor Shea has taken that up in her interview on this program earlier. And they've directed staff to prepare the Joint Powers Authority. What is going to be the Orange County Board of Supervisors step taking in that general direction? Well, we have 34 cities in Orange County, and then, of course, the unincorporated areas are under the county's jurisdiction. Right. And I know that a lot of communities, a lot of cities, for instance, are looking at the Community Choice Aggregation, or CCA as it's called, right. mm -hmm. and to form that type of joint powers authority. I can tell you a few a months ago, I was in Sonoma County when the fires were going through and we had the public safety power shutoffs. All around us, it was dark, but in the specific area in Sonoma that my conference was in, we had power because they had community choice aggregation, and they were in control of their own grid. Oh, wow. So I think a lot of cities want to have that self-control and to be able to reduce costs and run on a more efficient basis. So I applaud their efforts. 
So do you see some kind are, are do you see some sort of discussion for joint power agreement kind of uh, language getting prepared? I wouldn't be surprised if more cities start to band together on a regional basis to form community choice aggregation um, partnerships. And where it makes sense and it's economical, I think they should pursue those opportunities. But you have to have economies of scale because there's a certain level of fixed costs associated with it. So it has to make economic sense for the cities on a regional basis. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Well, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors this past summer unanimously passed their sustainability master plan. And, you know, we, we, we're seeing where leadership on the international and the national levels is set. It's at a standstill. It is, it is not institutionalizing meaningful inroads. What is the, is the Orange County Board of Supervisors interested in something of a sustainability master plan? I think every community, and, and certainly within Orange County and the unincorporated areas and for the county, a sustainable master plan is something that we should all be looking towards. We want to be good stewards of the environment. We want to have that smallest economic um, and um, footprint as possible with regard to energy usage and things of that nature. So I'm sure that in 2020 this will be something that our staff will be directed to start reviewing and hopefully the following year, if not this year, we'll be able to come up with our own sustainability plan for the future. Okay, okay. Well, the new primary in California, as you are well aware, was moved up to March 3rd in 2020. And I, I bring this up, and my listeners keep hearing me remind them that it's moved up since June. So the new Orange County Registrar is going to be processing this in various new ways. So to the point that the county has increased responsibilities what do you see are additional wishes for you to step up voter participation from the, the counties administering? I think it's really important to get every person out there that is registered to vote. Actually, get them registered to vote if they're not registered currently, but get everyone to the polls. Get everyone to send in their mail-in ballots because truly every vote matters. We've had races that have been won or lost by three votes. So truly right. every vote matters. And this year, we're excited because we're going to the vote centers pursuant to the California Voters' Choice Act. This means all new technology. Instead of the polling places, we'll have a little under 200 vote centers. But the great thing about the vote centers is that the voters will have 10 days leading up to Election Day to actually cast their ballots at any one of the vote centers. It doesn't have to be in your neighborhood. If you work across town and there's a vote center, you could drop off your ballot at that vote center. And there'll be extended hours for, I believe, six out of the 10 days. So exciting times. And you're in the middle of that. And you have the gold standard in the Orange County Registrar's Office in Neil Kelly. Neil Kelly is so highly acclaimed in the voting world as a true expert. And we're so fortunate to have him at the County of Orange. Um, we have brand new equipment that is coming in. Everyone is getting trained right now, and the equipment's getting beta tested, and we're really excited about having new technology in place. This further reduces the uh, opportunities for voter fraud and things of that nature. So we are well poised to make sure that our technology is intact, our systems are up and working, and the chances of something like a cybersecurity attack are, are diminished to almost nothing. A real 
large concern because it not every county can say that in the country, which sort of rattles my cage, <laughs> rattles some others too. So on to the U.S. Census, what role will Orange County have in assisting the nose counting in Orange County? Well, as you know, the census is every 10 years. So 2020, another 10-year census. And we're really excited about um, this particular census because I think most of the counties that I talk to are now going to be utilizing greater and greater levels of significant technology, which ensures that we get everyone out there um, registered and providing information for the census so that the appropriate um, funding levels can take place and we're able to provide the level of service that we need in each of our counties. So the census is very, very important um, because it determines how resources and representation for our districts will be distributed for the next 10 years, meaning supervisorial, assembly, senate, and at the federal level as well. Another theme, it's the holidays coming to a close. I always think of this holiday as a sort of a room in the inn. It's sort of front and center. What, Supervisor Bartlett, do you see as the county's role in meeting the needs for shelter over a broad demographic? We are continually building out our system of care in the county. It's really important to get every homeless person out there assessed and start to get them into the system of care, meaning shelter, wraparound services, uh, job training, education, jobs, making sure that their mental and physical well-being is taken care of. We take care of things like food insecurity and a whole host of things to get a person to get back on the, you know, back on their feet again, essentially. Um, we want to give them the greatest opportunity to turn their lives around and have a healthy, long-term um, sustainable life in Orange County. And I've uh, noticed just recently the, the lactation accommodations for mothers who work and who do business. That's at all the county uh, facilities that it's effective. It's following the San Diego model. Are there other initiatives that you would like to tell us that it will take effect that for which the County Board of Supervisors is responsible, taking effect January 1 of 2020? Well, let's see, off the top of my head, we have the, the lactation and we also have privacy rooms in the new building. We're building out our civic center uh, once again. Our buildings are very old, so we're tearing down buildings and building up new buildings that are energy efficient, again, keeping a smaller um, a footprint for the energy. Um, we're looking at LEED certified facilities, which is something we want to try to strive for. Everything that we can do for our employees, um, we, we try to do. We have a rotation program where we can take uh, an employee from the workforce and bring them up and work on the board floor for two years. And that way they, they come back into the, the county workforce after two years, but they've got a fast track towards management. So no longer is it going to be a 15-year program, basically, to get into management. This will help fast track those employees. So for the younger employees, this gives them great incentive to uh, participate in the rotation program. But we get ideas all the time from our county staff and anything that we can try to do to make their uh, lives easier in the workplace, we try to accommodate whenever possible, whether it's uh, bringing in food now, uh, food vendors into the, uh, into the buildings for the lunch hour so they don't have to go outside of the buildings. Um, whatever we can do to accommodate our workforce, we, we try to do everything within our power. Well, my last question here for you is, what is your 
message generally that you'd like to send to listeners for the new year? Supervisor Bartlett. Well, I just want to have everyone stay uh, informed and engaged. I so look forward to working with all of the constituents throughout the county, our 3.3 million people, and certainly the uh, 650,000 residents in my district. But to stay engaged and to communicate what's important to them, because in order for the Board of Supervisors to take appropriate actions on things, we need to hear from the public. And we do take all of their comments to heart and put in programs and initiatives uh, where we can. And I just want to wish everyone a happy and prosperous New Year. And I look forward to working with everyone and keeping Orange County a safe, healthy, and fulfilling place to live, work, and play. Well, I actually, this causes me to ask uh, one, actually, an, an extra question here. And it's when you were talking about this is a this is a huge population. You remind us three point three million, and we're starting to kind of slide into a little bit toward a, a media desert. So keeping people engaged, I'm just is the Orange County Board of Supervisors concerned about how much media is following what's developing in Orange County? We used to have a lot more local coverage in Orange County, and I I wish we still did because we are the third largest county of the 58 counties in the state of California. Orange County is the sixth largest county in the nation. Our county is bigger than 22 states. And yet the media coverage hasn't kept up with the growth in our county. So I truly wish we had more media coverage because we have so many great stories and things coming out of Orange County that should be reported on that just aren't. Well, I will try to help have the community radio platform raise profiles of what needs the attention. And thank you for taking the time, Supervisor Bartlett, for being on Ask a Leader today. Well, you're very welcome. And I know it's the centennial of the 19th Amendment. So for women, this is critically important. And um, I just want to encourage more women to... um, make sure that everyone gets out there to register to vote, but that we have more women elected officials. Right now, women make up less than 25% of elected officials across the nation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to get more women involved. We have so many great women out there that are they're educated, and they've got the time and energy, and they've got the work experience um, to really put forth some good things into public service. And I would love to see more women get involved in elected office because we're just so good at taking charge and multitasking (laughs) and really getting out there and making a positive difference for all of our constituents. Well, thank you very much. Happy New Year, Lisa Bartlett. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. My guest was Orange County Board of Supervisor Lisa Bartlett, representing the 5th District of South Orange County. We'll be right back with my last guest, Zoe Nicholson. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to the show. My third guest is Zoe Nicholson. She completed her bachelor's degree in Roman Catholic theology from Quincy University and her master's degree in ethics and religion from the University of Southern California. She taught high school for five years, then opened a woman's bookstore in Newport Beach, the Magic Speller Bookstore. She's also worked as a systems analyst, a production tester, and let me just start the bead right back there. And a project leader on Wall Street, as well as co-founding a specialized recruiting firm offering expertise in client server architecture and graphical design. But it's her activism that's today's focus. Zoe's been an equality activist, speaker, writer, and organizer for over 50 years. She discovered Miss Alice Paul while fasting for the Equal Rights Amendment in 1982, that was in Illinois, and continues studying nonviolent direct action and social justice and equity while spending her, her knowledge working within the peace, labor, women's, and L- LGBTQ movements. With her one-woman play, Tea with Alice and Me, she introduces the public to the brilliant and strategic, relentless champion of equality, Miss Alice Paul. Now to the interview. She comes to us today from Long Beach. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Zoe Nicholson. Well, thank you, Claudia. I'm so happy to be talking to your audience today. I have to say, I I just turned 71, and the fact is, I had no idea that 40 years of study, 40 years of my head down looking at books and newspapers, would suddenly all come together, and what I know is suddenly of use to people. It's really thrilling that uh, here we are in 2019 looking at 2020, and it seems like I know things people want to hear about, and that just is so much fun. Absolutely. Well, so I'd like to start with, as I am with my other voices for this New Year's Eve message is, tell us where we are headed into the year of 2020. What does it mean to you, Zoe Nicholson? Well, it's there used to be a phrase that was used a few decades ago, a harmonic conversion. And I feel like this is the harmonic conversion of my obsession with Miss Alice Paul. I really didn't know that much about her except that she had written the ERA. I had fasted for the ERA in 1982. So I decided I wanted to know everything about her. And the the thing about my study is it wasn't just books, because there were people still alive, and there are today, by the way, who knew her. Wow. So I set off to speak with every single person I could who knew her to tell me about her and what was she like. And uh, in 40 years of study, I feel like, I actually know how she would think about something, how she would feel about something, what she would have to say about something. And this year, it's so hard to believe that we are celebrating the centennial of the 19th Amendment, and simultaneously, we will be celebrating the final 38th state of the Equal Rights Amendment, and both of these spring from the heart of Alice Paul. And the 38th state is the state of Virginia. 
Well, we believe so. I mean, we have commitment. Uh, there are now 51 seats that have turned blue. I don't know how much you paid attention. Not many people might have, but I was that there were all kinds of people, famous and important, canvassing the districts for that vote to turn 51 seats blue in the state. So they have the votes, and it is also HJ1. And that means that, you know, they number the bills, that it's going yes. to be the first bill they vote on. Okay. So the wow. state of Virginia will be voting on Martin Luther King holiday. They're coming together. They are meeting that day, even though it's a holiday. Wow. And they're going to vote on HJ and SJ, the joint bill number one, which is to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. That will be the final requirement of 38 states. So when listeners are hearing a they're hearing a range of interpretations of when was is there a deadline by which the ERA amendment approval state to state ended there's some confusion help us clarify the status of the ERA adoption toward the 38th state You know I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories Yes Dr. Bernice Sandler, who was the godmother of Title IX, mm. she was one of the women I called, and I said, you knew Alice, didn't you? And she said, yes. And she, Bernice, people called her Bunny, uh. had testified in Congress on behalf of the Equal Rights Amendment. And Congress, uh, you know, was not too far from where Alice was living. And when the Judiciary Committee voted yes... They ran and knocked on the door to tell Alice the great news. Wow. Yeah. And they said, they've, they've approved it. It's going out to the states. It's going to go out to the states for ratification. And Alice said, well, was there a deadline? Imagine she's 85 years old. Right. And she says, well, was there a deadline? And the women told her yes. And Alice looked at them and said... It will never pass. And the reason she said that was that all the men's amendments, all 27, never had a deadline. None of the men's amendments had a deadline. The Madison Amendment, which was assuring Congress members salary raises, it took 203 years to pass. Wow. There's no deadline on men. But there was an artificial deadline of seven years imposed on the Equal Rights Amendment in 1971. And I said to Bunny, I said, well, why didn't they bring Alice to testify? She right. wrote it. Right. Why didn't they? Because well, she was getting pretty Bunny, infirm. Bunny started crying. We're on the phone. And she said, Zoe, I've never forgotten that we were young women and we just thought Alice was an old lady in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And Alice was never just an old lady in a wheelchair. No. Alice knew instantly that they had done what men always do. They put a time limit. We have a time limit on reporting a rape. We have a time limit on the testing of rape kits. We have a time limit on the Equal Rights Amendment. We have 
time limits, which was one way to make certain they could defeat it. And so at the time, very smartly, they understood, well, we'll give the ladies seven years to get 38 states. Of course, the only thing we have to do is stop that 38, which is true. The first 37, they could let fly by. They just simply need to make sure that 38 weren't ratified in seven years. So in 1979, there were marchers, probably some of your listeners, were out there marching to extend the deadline. And my regret now, I mean, I have the wisdom of a rearview mirror. I can see that what we should have been marching for was to delete the deadline, not extend it. Correct. And we got another three years and three months, and so the deadline moved to June 30th. 1982, which was 40 days after the fast began. We fasted for 37 days. And I must say that (laughs) when the 38th state ratifies the ERA on June 20th, 2020, the year of the centennial, then we have to go to court and get the deadline declared unconstitutional. And that, where does that take place takes place in congress well it's going to start in the appeals court here okay you know this is red hot news just in this month this last month of december 2019 we had three states louisiana south dakota and alabama raise up their heads and declare that they want any states ratifying after the deadline to be declared Uh, you know, non-binding. So we're going to see it travel through the courts. That's expected. Okay. Certainly we know that women are prepared. We're prepared for anything. Right. And there are attorneys, uh, 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 a whole gaggle of attorneys who have been preparing now for years to have the deadline declared unconstitutional. So there will be many, many commemorations for the, I mean, there will be all this political activity and joy in recognizing the centennial of the women's right to vote in the 19th Amendment. Let's talk about what's going to be happening starting with the New Year's commemoration in Pasadena. Well, Claudia, set your alarm for tomorrow morning. Holy Toledo, set it for 5.30. Okay, all right. I'll try. <laughs> because our local channel in Los Angeles and, I'm, and and all around the world, there will be the Rose Parade. And uh, here locally, there is a little show that we have on the Los Angeles, uh, Southern California stations that's going to highlight some of the local floats. Okay. So, believe it or not, Around the world, no matter where your listeners are, slot 24 will be, for the first time in history, a suffrage float. And you will know it by the fact that it has got a 30-foot Statue of Liberty on it. And the Pasadena Committee has been working on it for a year now. 
and it's going to be thrilling. On the float are going to be descendants of Susan B. Anthony, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, all kinds of amazing people who have legacy and also some current people. On that float will also be Dolores Huerta. And, and in addition to the people on the float, there will be 100 pe- women and a few men walking in whites with a sash and a hat and a sign commemorating the original marches that women did to get the float federally approved in 1920. We're just kicking off here the whole year with uh, the float. And, you know, there are commissions everywhere in this country. All 50 states are participating. Most cities are participating. Even the federal government has a commission on the status of women that are working on the centennial. Now, I personally have a chip on my shoulder. I don't think it's as big as the bicentennial we had in 1976. However, I hope I'm wrong. I hope when all is said and done and we get to August 26th in 2020 and we celebrate that, that last date that Harry Byrne did what his mother asked him to do, which was remember the women, and he voted yes on our ability to vote I hope that, you know, the country is bursting with pride that women can vote. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader. My guest is Zoe Nicholson, a scholar of Alice Paul, who was the central architect, the strategist for the 19th Amendment that has given the granted the women in the United States the right to vote. We're talking about the centennial that will be represented on the Rose Bowl float. And I think because it's going to be quite the election year, it's a census taken year, that this you're going to be providing, Zoe, a lot of optics for people to tack on to, which, which with such a broad demographic, you're smart enough to incorporate in this float, Tilla. <laughs> Well, and and I must tell you, I mean, the silliest, most fun, most wonderful things are happening. Utah just created a suffrage license plate, and Nevada just created a centennial license plate on cars, for cars. I know that we've requested that uh, we do that here in the State House in California. I still have yet to hear about it. There are celebrations, and even if you just go online and, and you Google like suffrage centennial, you will see that every state in the country is working on some kind of celebration. And the epicenter actually is a California group called the National Women's History Alliance. They just changed their name. It's now the National Women's History Alliance. You can look that up online. Okay. And they have papers and they have party supplies and they have books and banners and all kinds of things that the League of Women Voters, the National Women's Political Caucus, the National Organization for Women, AAUW, the American Association of University Women, (laughs) every single one of them have plans to celebrate 100 years since the ratification of the 19th Amendment granting women the right to vote. And so, Zoe, how do you see this commemoration having value in the necessary mobilization of every eligible voter to follow all the way through? 
Well, you asked the right question, and I hope your listeners are also asking that question. I am the director of the Long Beach Suffrage 100, and um, I'm lucky that they like my edgy attitude. (laughs) And one of our mottos is, suffrage is unfinished business. Because even though the 19th Amendment doesn't mention anything except granting the vote to women, black women didn't get to vote until the Civil Rights Act, 1965. And the disenfranchisement of women still goes on because of poll taxes and gerrymandering, all kinds of things. And that's why uh, a great woman from uh, Georgia, Stacey Abrams, started an organization called Fair Fight 2020. And I mention it because just this month, in December, in the middle of this month, they were able to get 500,000 voters back in Georgia on the roll to be able to vote. And that kind of movement is going on around the country because for me and the Long Beach Suffrage 100, what we really want to do is make sure every American has access to the vote. That's what I hope the centennial is going to Mm. mean in every city, every village, every school, every library, wherever there are displays, exhibits. The Library of Congress is a great exhibit. The National Portrait. We'll have to put that up on the whole podcast. I want to thank everybody listening. I have some Orange County Registrar of Voter information I won't be able to give you, but I urge you to go to their website if you are a no party preference voter so that you can get on the March primary, get the right slate that you want to participate. Talk to you next year in 2020. Happy New Year, everybody, and thanks so much for listening. 